And sometimes people think that I'm talking about being an alpha female and they get like the power 80 suits, like image in their head or like, you know, the sex in the city. Like I go after what I want and I get it. It's really nothing like that. It's about being comfortable in your own skin, knowing what you want and knowing that if you need to fight for it or you need that drive and aggression, that it's there for you. And actually what that does is make you be able to let down and let go genuinely rather than just be in collapse or default. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 500 with guest Kimberly Ann Johnson. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We made it. We made it to episode 500. If you would have told me that I was going to have 500 podcast episodes, uh, you know, back in 2013, when I started this show, I would have been very happy. (laughs) I wouldn't have been surprised (laughs) because I've always loved doing it. I have always loved having these amazing conversations with these experts and and bringing you guests that I am not an expert in and that I wanted to bring to you. I am not feeling the best, so if my voice is a little bit weird, that is why it, during just during this intro, um but I could not put off bringing you this episode. I I knew that it that it had to go out. Kimberly is someone that I have followed on social media for a long time and I was so happy that she said yes. To, to coming on the show. Uh, we have a few weeks left of the women's health theme that we're on this series. And I, you know, these are in no particular order. They just kind of go out whenever. So, you know, the ones that are last, they're definitely not the least. So I'm so happy that you are sticking around with us as we as we get through these and into the next theme. I do want to mention, I have a new offering that I've actually been doing for a while. I've just never talked about it. It's been a, kind of on the DL if you are someone who is wanting to write a nonfiction book and you're not sure if you are going to go traditional publishing or you need to write a book proposal or if you're going to go self-publishing, um, if you need help writing your book proposal, if you need help writing your book, if you need help just asking a bunch of questions and want to pick someone's brain who knows the industry inside and out, I'm your girl, andreaowen.com slash nonfiction. All one word. Of course, the link will be in the show notes and it's on on my website. There's FAQs there of what exactly it is that I do and an application to just even jump on the phone with me for 20 minutes to see if we're a good fit, to see if I can maybe do the things that you are are hoping to get some help with. All right, um, let us move on to the show today. For those of you that don't know Kimberly, never heard of her before, let me tell you a little bit about her. Kimberly is a sexological body worker a somatic experiencing trauma resolution practitioner, a postpartum advocate, birth doula, and single mom. She is the author of early morning classic, The Fourth Trimester, Feminist Trauma, Call of the Wild, and the recent Reckoning co-authored 
with Stephen Jenkinson. She is the creator of Activate Your Inner Jaguar and host of Sex Birth Trauma Podcast. So without further ado, here is Kimberly. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I, before we started recording, I was telling you that I wanted to have you on for so long and it just feels like the right time. This theme right now I'm having on my podcast is all around self-care. And I, I really feel like your work embodies that for women, And but it's very specific. And so I want to start with, can we talk about somatic experiencing? And I think it's a term that many people listening have heard many times before and maybe aren't sure totally clear what that actually is. So we, can we start there and you can tell us like what that actually is and if there's any tools that women could use to start that process for themselves. So somatic experiencing is a trademarked kind of therapy, I guess is the easiest way to describe it. It was created by Peter Levine in the 70s. Uh, studying people who were having panic attacks and his, the client that he first kind of put a lot of the pieces together with was having panic attacks. And she was in grad school at Berkeley and a, a psychiatrist sent her to him and he started taking her into a state of relaxation. And as he did, she started having hyperventilation and started to have a panic attack right then. And so mm -hmm. he got really flustered and he had a vision of a tiger jumping out of the wall. And so just intuitively, he said, okay, there's a tiger coming after you run. And so her body started making running movements and she would go through uh, waves of movement and then settling and then movement and then settling. And at the end of her session, they both knew that something had happened, but they weren't totally sure what had happened. And at that time, he was a neuroscientist and um, neurobiologist, I believe. He started studying why do animal wild animals not have trauma, but domesticated animals and humans do. And so he elaborated based on what that woman and, and watching her go, go through cycles of fight, flight, and then deactivation. And what it turned out is that it really wasn't her graduate program that was stressing her out. Uh, she was having a response after having surgery as a child and being under anesthesia. And the anesthesia, which is a forced freeze response, your brain is anesthetized, but your body is not. So your body is still receiving that as an assault. And so those incomplete fight and flight responses are stored in the body. So nowadays, it's a very popular modality. It went from being something that was a lot of body workers that would do it, a lot of rolfers, massage therapists, alternative type practitioners. And now the trainings are filled with doctors, psychologists, social workers. Uh, because we know so much more about how we have to listen to what the body is saying rather than putting a narrative to it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about like, what are some things that that people can do to start this process themselves? But but I first want you, I want to ask you, like when someone's looking for a practitioner, because it's become so mainstream, what should people look for? I would recommend looking for someone who you could actually see in person, it's kind of a radical idea these days. Um, so depending on where someone lives, then that would be limiting to who you would, you know, be able to see. Uh, it, it really depends on what you're wanting to work on. The way that I choose practitioners is I look at their pictures and then I read a little bit about them and then I and then I call them and have a quick conversation and see how how it resonates. Just like a gut and gut gut check type of thing. 
Yeah, like dating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look at the picture. Look at the profile. Take your best guess. You know, it, it's always great to have recommendations when people, you know, I teach classes that are sort of somatic experiencing basics, which I call activate your inner Jaguar foundations. Um, and in those classes, I give out resources of people that I actually know, practitioners mm-hmm. that I've been to, colleagues, that kind of thing. So it's always nice to have a recommendation. Um, but the one of the great things about somatic experiencing is that you don't, it's not really, it doesn't have to be a long-term commitment because we're not specifically working on attachment. Whereas like the one-on-one therapeutic model is based on developing trust and and remodeling attachment. In this case, I mean, depending on the practitioner, I mean, every practitioner has their own, you know, requirements and ways of working, but you don't have to have that. You could go and do a somatic experiencing session or three sessions regarding something specific and not necessarily have to enter into kind of a long-term agreement that you're going to be doing this, you know, over time. Interesting. Okay. Do you recommend that people like can grab some stuff that they see online? So you teach online courses of how people can do it themselves, kind of like coach themselves through the process of it? Can you do it yourself? That's a very big question these days because the way that our culture is structured is so much about the self and Mm -hmm. the existence of a self and self-care and self-improvement. You can have grounding exercises. You can learn how to understand how you're filtering the outer world into your inner experience. You can understand more about your own visceral physical boundaries. Yes, you can learn those skills. Mm -hmm. And my book, Call of the Wild, has a step-by-step process that takes people through some of those skills. can we do all of it alone? No, because most of our wounding happened in relationship or happened, you know, so and happened with touch. And so a lot of that needs to be repaired in relationship with touch. But can you learn can you learn how to come home to your body more than you are right now through reading something or hearing someone's voice or uh listening? Yes, you could. Okay. Okay. Thank you for for clarifying the difference between those two. And you mentioned about um, the inner jaguar. Can you talk about that, like what it is, and how do women sort of activate that in in their own life? Yeah. So jaguar is something that uh, when I was living in Brazil, I lived in Brazil for eight years, and my daughter is Brazilian. I was going to a somatic experiencing practitioner, and there was a point in my path when I just realized I couldn't go any farther with what I was trying to work on with women, and I realized. It was sort of unconscious. Like I was just like, wow, I've really only ever had women therapists. I wonder why that is. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, it's kind of scary for me to think about being in therapy with a male practitioner. So maybe I need to do that. And I found a man who was really, I've, I've been sexually assaulted before. And I felt like maybe that was at the root of some of what I was experiencing, which was really just, again, happening on a very subtle level. I was still having, I had been married, I'd had relationships, but I just, there was something that felt like it still needed to move. Mm -hmm. So I found a practitioner who had the stature of my perpetrator, who was a dancer, a yoga teacher, but also a martial artist and someone that um, could phys- physically intimidate me if, if he wanted to. Was that to. by coincidence or was that by design? No, like, did you kind of seek that out? I chose out? it. Okay. Yeah, interesting. I it. Yeah. I waited a long time till I found someone that I thought was, could meet me where I wanted to be met. Mm-hmm. So I was working with him 
my first session, I went in and I just said, uh, I need to work on limits and boundaries with men. And then I just cried the rest of the session. And I had no idea why I was crying or what I was crying about. And then subsequent sessions, like one time he had a broomstick and he was kind of chasing me slowly around an office and, and letting me get get around, get by, confront, hold my ground. And so we were working progressively. And then one day I went in and I had my daughter was about five at the time. And a friend of mine had told me, your daughter's becoming authoritarian and she's going to be a nightmare if you don't get a, a hold on this, which is like every mother's worst nightmare to hear. But it was a really good friend of mine who okay. I trusted. And I was like, wow, OK, if she's telling me this, she's willing to sacrifice our friendship for like to tell me this, to give me this. I better look at it. Mm -hmm. So I went to him and I said to him, you know, I'm a single mom and I'm so exhausted. and I'm so tired of having to be like the unconditional love and the boundaries at the same time. And he just looked at me and said, do you know where I'm from? And I said, no. He said, did you know I'm from the Amazon? And I said, oh, no, I didn't. And he said, uh, you're a jaguar. Look at you. Look at your golden skin and your spots. Because I have like red hair and mm -hmm. freckles. And he said, it's the mother that teaches the cubs to hunt. It's the female that teaches the cubs to hunt. And in that moment, he just fractured this thing that I had that like, oh, I'm just so tired about, you know, being fierce and having boundaries. It was like, no, this is this is animalistic. Like this is part of our animal body. And so he told me, go home and watch Jaguar videos and watch the Jaguars playing with their cubs and and do that. Do that with your daughter. And so I learned a lot about right authority and about being an alpha and about showing like I had unconsciously had this idea that parenting should somehow be democratic. And especially because it was only me and her when she would have a preference, I would just go along with the preference. But I didn't realize what that was creating over time. There's lots of ways that Jaguar comes into the work. It, it's not a spirit animal for me. It's actually like a, a real world teacher. And sometimes people think that I'm talking about being an alpha female and they get like the power 80 suits like image in their head or like, you know, <laughs> the sex in the city. Like I go after mm -hmm. what I want and I get it. It's really nothing like that. It's about being comfortable in your own skin, knowing what you want and knowing that if you need to fight for it or you need that drive and aggression, that it's there for you. And actually what that does is make you be able to let down and let go genuinely rather than just be in collapse or default it allows you to surrender because if, if people are like well I don't like you know I don't like being the aggressor I like mm -hmm. being pursued I'm not confrontational yes. yeah but it allows you to be actually relaxed and pursued rather than that's the only mode you know and you really can't speak up for yourself or you end up going along with things sexually or otherwise that you're really not into just to get it over with because it's easier to do that than to to enter into conflict so, and in the case with parenting, you know, when your kid won't listen to you or keeps sticking their hand up your shirt all the time, or um, just flat out, is, you know, dictates, I sit at so many tables where there's five adults and one kid and the entire thing is revolving around the kid because there's been so little community parenting mm -hmm. and, and there's so much individuality about like, I, I'm doing this my way. And there's this thing about, you know, every child is like the little Buddha. And so like, we've got to, you know, protect them and like uplift their every desire. And this is really that number one, that makes kids very insecure and it, mm -hmm. it can involve the problem, but also it's just, 
it's depleting and so many women are exhausted, depressed, anxious, have autoimmune problems, all of that stuff. It's not exclusively because of your nervous system, but your nervous system definitely has a lot to do with it. So if you, if you can occupy the Jaguar, that means you're occupying the healthy fight side of your nervous system rather than just the default mode of either anxiety, depression, or collapse. Okay. I, I love, I didn't know that story. I love that so much. And it sounds like it's a little bit of um, learning how to be proactive instead of reactive in various areas of your life. And when you started telling the story and you said, I was on this path, I knew you were telling a story that was a jaguar. And I'm like, I don't know if this is metaphorical or literal. Was there a jaguar that came up on her path that she's walking through the woods or something? I'm so glad to hear you didn't have to fight off a literal jaguar. <laughs> That'd be amazing if I'd actually ever it would seen be a jaguar amazing. in real life. Yes, <laughs> It'd be it really would. Story. And I hope someday that maybe I do be able to glimpse a jaguar. But no, until now, that has never happened. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm glad it turned out the way that it did. Sort of switching gears, can you talk to us about what is sexological bodywork? And did I say that word right? I don't know if that's even a word that I have read out loud. It's a mouthful for <laughs> sure. But before I was a sexological bodyworker, I was a structural integration practitioner. Okay. And I've heard like of I've heard of that. Structural integration <laughs> is also kind of a mouthful. Sexological bodywork is a field of work uh, that started in the late 90s by Joseph Kramer. And essentially what it is, is including genitals in bodywork. So some people who are sexual sexological bodyworkers do tantric massage. Some people specialize in erectile dysfunction. Some people uh, do scar tissue remediation, which is what I do. So mm -hmm. I... I specifically work with birth injuries, birth trauma, gynecological surgeries, and sexual boundary rupture. So it's a it's a body of work that acknowledges that so many kinds of healing modalities work on everything except genitals. So uh, and then the genitals are are segmented off, and those are just only doctors, only PTs. I think in California, it's acupuncturists, PTs, uh, doctors can touch the pelvic floor and there's like the touch. pelvic floor nurse practitioners as well, right? Yeah. So okay. doctors, yeah. nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a modality that understands that there's a lot of repercussions for segmenting off. And most of those practitioners only deal with sexuality in a very clinical way. They don't deal with it sexuality and around and you know in a mental health practitioner, you know, if you go to a psychologist, if you ask most people, they don't talk to their therapist about sex. I, Very I unusual. It's it's not my favorite, but I actually am finally after 29 years of therapy talking to and specifically hired a sex therapist to talk about sex because I've put it off for this long. I'm 47. Right. <laughs> it's long overdue. But I mean, it just goes to show that we see that as something that's very separate from every other part of ourselves, mm -hmm. because not only do we segment it off, but the, the professions also segment it off. And you had to hire a specific therapist right. to talk about sexuality. So that just shows you that that's how ingrained it is that like what's happening in our mind and in our intellect and in our psyche is somehow separate from what's happening in our erotic Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I have two teenagers now. My daughter just turned 13 and my son is 15. 
and talking about sex with them. As progressive as I think I am, um, and as committed as I am to parent my children, especially around the topic of sex, differently than what I how I was parented, it still brings up my stuff. You know, like it's just especially when they come with a question or. I can't even remember what it was that I was talking about my daughter. Oh, she asked me about strip clubs. I, I don't even know how it came up. And she was like, have you you been to one? Like she was surprised. And I was like, yeah, they're actually, they can be a lot of fun. My second thought was like, I cannot even imagine having that conversation with my mother. <laughs> it almost feels like I'm having an out-of-body experience. And the reason I bring that up is because it's interesting, even like, while I'm having the conversation with them or afterwards and I'm like sweating, like I I still have like a somatic response, even just talking about it. So the strip club conversation made you sweat? Not that one in particular, but it was, um, it was interesting how like I didn't pause even before I answered, like, of course I'm going to like tell her the Mm -hmm. truth, but it just, it's, I, I, I definitely have some kind of like, it's a little bit of an out-of-body experience. That's the only way I can describe it, where it's like, mm. what? What is this actually yeah. happening? Like, it's exciting. And it, in a way, I think it's healing my own stuff as a teenager when there was so much shame around that. And you basically, we just didn't talk about it at all. I just yeah. learned through experience. Lots and lots of people ask me about this, about how to talk to their kids about sex. And I don't really have a lot of material out there about it. I have a 15-year-old daughter I just, it's it's just so interesting because I feel like, you know, the statistics are that less kids are having sex early, like kids are having sex later and less kids are Mm -hmm. having sex. And I think the assumption is always that like kids are uncontrollable and like adolescents are just crazy and they're just like ready to like blast through every limit. And there's so many preconceptions about adolescents themselves. And in my experience, it's like, I think it's because we have a, most of us have a distorted idea of what innocence is and that great sex usually includes innocence in the sense that you're very present to the moment and you're not just performing or acting out a bunch of stereotypes and, and like things that you've been fed. So I find myself really not encouraging my daughter sexually, but trying to help her understand that her sexuality is not something that you just think about yeah. because it's become so intellectual, like, you know, Oh, I'm bisexual. I'm pansexual. I'm, you know, whatever. And then you're like, but have you ever even touched anyone? Like, Mm -hmm. have you kissed anyone? Are you sure? I had a hilarious conversation with my daughter. We were driving cross country, you know, car, car talks are always great. Mm -hmm. And she was going off about sexuality as a social construct. And then all of a sudden I just turned to her and I was like, Cece, I'm just going to tell you right now, I like cock. And that's just how it is. (laughs) It's not a social construct. Like it just isn't. Like if I was alone in the, on the planet with only one other person who happened to have a pussy, would I get down with it? Yes, Mm -hmm. I would. But like, (laughs) I am in a choose, like, it's just, it's just, just take it from me. It's not all a social construct. But she just like, mom, I cannot believe you just said that. And I'm like, yeah, but like, trust me everything is not a social construct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm like really trying to encourage her friends in terms of understanding, you know, because now the TikTok, the social media, there's so much information out there about ba- boundaries and consent for one. Mm-hmm. And so many preconceptions about what that even means and how that is in real time. And it's like, I feel like I'm constantly 
trying to like put in a little, a little bit more, like, I'm not sure it's quite like that. I'm also yeah. not sure it's quite like that. <laughs> like maybe we want to have some experiences first before we decide that like this, this is how it goes because this is what everyone says is how it goes. There's so much reinforcement for righteousness and entitlement. My entire career is about helping women develop their voice and own it and learn how to advocate for themselves. And usually the people they interact with change as a result of that. Because when people come to me, they always are like, well, can you talk to my husband? Can you talk to my partner? And I'm like, I could. Mm -hmm. And if we do this work together, usually those things change because you're, you understand now what you want. But there's a, there's a fine line between knowing what you want and walking around in the world like the world needs to change for you. If you like to consume podcasts, which I'm assuming that you do because you're here, if you do, I think you would love audiobooks if you have not found them already. Audible has a free trial. You can try it for 30 days for $0, and then you can get two free audiobooks with Premium Plus. All three of my books are over there on Audible, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and Make Some Noise, plus most of the books I recommend here on this show and my guests' books are over there as well. After 30 days, you get one audiobook a month for $14.95 a month, and you receive 30% off the price of additional audiobook purchases, and you can cancel at any time. Easy peasy. Your books are yours to keep even if you cancel. Go to andreaowen.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial. That's andreaowen.com slash audible. I want to go back to what you were talking about in reference to working with women who've had some difficult birth experiences and and working with them. What do you call it? Where it's um the the sexological, sexological body work. I have a couple of friends who had HPV, who had biopsies, who were the quote unquote failure to progress during childbirth and labor. And both of them had experiences where the nurse was uh, massaging the scar tissue on their cervix and helped a lot. And I just thought that was so interesting. And I'm like, I don't, I've never had a biopsy and um, I have my own birth stuff. I had a breech position with my first baby and I had a VBAC, which was to make a long and short of it was a fight with the hospital. And anyway, so I understand. I think that's originally how I found you because of the birth world. And I love just all of that. And so can you like, what is a typical kind of scenario or story that women come to you with when it comes to like um, either birth trauma, whether it was physical or, you know, they had a healthy birth and, and baby, but it was a, it was a scary situation. Like, what does that look like? Or maybe like a couple of different scenarios. Yeah. There's a lot of different ones, but I would say really typical is just, I'm having painful sex ever since I had a baby and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And, and it could be that they had a C-section and they're like, I'm still having painful vaginal sex. And I don't understand how, if I had a staring delivery that my pelvic floor is hurting so bad. Some people know why, like, okay, I had an episiotomy and my body's not scarring correctly. I had an unwanted episiotomy. I delivered at 32 weeks because I was under pressure and I I regret ever having done that. And now my sense of self is completely different and I don't want anything to do with my partner. I had a great third birth and I'm so elated and it was everything I wanted. And I feel completely disoriented now and I don't want my partner even near me and I don't know why. 
gosh, I mean, the, there's just so many different mm-hmm. scenarios, but it, it all circles around who I am sexually now feels completely different than who I was before. And some of it's physical pain. A lot of it is physical pain, but the physical pain, you know, scars are physical artifacts of trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we have to get back into that sometimes for the scar to be able to unwind and for the tissue to because tissue can also have nervous system responses. So mm-hmm. a tissue can be in a fight pattern. A tissue can be in a, a flaccid pattern, which is based on the signals the nervous system is sending. So if you were in a situation where you felt like you wanted something to happen and no one was listening to you, it could be that your tissues just never restored their tone. So a lot of people come to me for prolapse, incontinence, hemorrhoids, uh any any of the things that women handle after they have babies, but I'm dealing with it in the full scope. I'm not just like probing muscles and saying, oh, this muscle's turned on and this muscle's turned off. And mm-hmm. I'm not just also doing energetic work. I'm listening as we go to what the body's saying and I'm doing it in a step-by-step fashion based on somatic experiencing. That is so fascinating. All of that. Because yes, I checked off incontinence and hemorrhoids, which are the worst. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. awful. So I do anal, I do vaginal and anal work. And I also, um, I do, you know, for people who come to me, who've never had children, I it's like called vulva mapping or va- mm-hmm. vagina mapping. Like I basically am helping people understand their own anatomy in real time. So we've usually now seen internet images of vulvas and erectile mm-hmm. tissue. Most people have. Some people have never looked at themselves because that tends to be like a big barrier to actually look at your own vulva. But then beyond that, a lot of people are like, I have no idea where my cervix is. I have no idea where my G-spot is. I have no idea where, like, why do I like anal sex or why do I not want it? Or, you know, and so I'm, I'm showing them like, here's muscular tissue. Here's your arousal tissue. Here's the shape of your G-spot. Here's where your perineal arousal tissue is. And so it's kind of like a, a living anatomy session in relationship where I'm also listening to their words, but watching their body. And if they say, yeah, go ahead and do this, but their body's like completely tense in their eyes. It's like telling them like, oh, so your words are telling me this, but your body's actually communicating something else. So do you notice that? And oh, when you do notice that, what happens? And let's just stay here for a moment. And so I basically in real time, teach people how to get like a pap smear that doesn't feel terrible and learn how to communicate with their doctors and learn how to communicate with a midwife and, and be able to do it because all of it, I mean, all is strong, but most women that come to me think of themselves as some kind of a feminist Mm -hmm. in their mind. They feel empowered in their mind. They know they deserve good healthcare. They deserve to be heard, but it's when things get intense that what's actually living the real beliefs that are in the body come to the surface. And that can be so disheartening and right. It's why people are so shocked when their boundaries are crossed because in their, their mind knew the boundary, but their body didn't know the boundary. So I help people sync that up specifically with the pelvis. I've personally never experienced any kind of pelvic pain during sex, but definitely like a bit of a mind fuck when, um, and this is what I talked to my therapist about is, um, going from, so I had a lot of trauma from a previous marriage where we had no children. And then I immediately got into a relationship and I'm married to him now. We've been together for 15 years. 
had two babies right away and then got sober. I went from being this like pretty free spirited, like open with my sexuality and very trusting in that relationship, even though the relationship was was shit, but being in this new relationship where I'm having sober sex. um, And also my identity has shifted a complete 180 to being a mother. Like this is the first person I've ever been with where we have only sober sex and I'm now a mama, not just like single fun girl. And that has been tricky to reckon with. And there's lots of stuff there. And I love what you said at the very end, because like I also, and I know a lot of people listening to this, like sort of see themselves as like somebody who doesn't take any shit from others. But then there's like this, there's this stuff. Cause like, like you were saying, like the body knows and the body will tell us. There's so much there, like just sober sex itself, right? The, people don't realize how much disinhibiting is happening when mm-hmm. you're drinking or using whatever you're using. Yeah. And then there, so it's the experience of so many people that it's almost like starting back at the beginning mm-hmm. when you're not using anything. And, and there's so much to kind of relearn or redefine yeah. of, of how you even do that. And I think that's also the postpartum experience for so many people is, you know, I was this thing and I enjoyed it this way and it kind of worked and I maybe didn't have to communicate about it very much because there was just an understanding organic. And And then now it's like, oh my gosh. And also a lot of us, we were programmed towards performative sex without knowing it. Mm -hmm. And then when the theme, like basically postpartum makes female pleasure have to be at the center of sex. And so if you've been, if your sexual identity has been pleasing or, and now you have to be on the receiving end and you also have to be the one who's doing the brake pedals, there's a lot of identity reckoning that has to be done. It's complicated. That's what, that's what I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's complicated well, and it's a great opportunity. Like it feels mm-hmm. like a loss, but that's partially because our culture is so um, youth driven and youth oriented. And there's so much richness and maturation and wholeness that can come when we realize that our sexual self also evolves and it yeah. evolves along with so many other parts of us. That's what I, I had to come to realize is that um, it, it's like a new chapter. You know, I did a, a a solo podcast episode where I talk, I talked about like, okay, I've been this new perspective of like, it's, it's not my turn anymore to be, to have that be my identity. Like I have a, it's my turn to be this person. And, you know, growing out my gray hair has been like a whole thing of, you know, like changing my identity and, and embracing like this part of life. And with it comes the sexuality of it too. But I, I, you mentioned the fourth trimester and I I don't want to let you go without asking you about, about that. And you talk about it in, in regard to motherhood. So what is that and why is it important for not just mothers, but for women to shift their, their being as like a woman, like into the fourth trimester and also mother, I wanted to kind of like distinguish between the two. I mean, the fourth trimester is really for everyone. Um, it's a period of time that a woman goes, a woman and a baby, because the woman and the baby or mother baby are still a unit after you have a baby. So the fourth trimester is describing, I had to name the book a period of time. Um, really, the transition to becoming a mother is a, is so many different periods of time for so many people. But for this particular uh purpose it's that the mother and baby are still as interdependent when the baby is inside the mother's body as when it's already born Mm -hmm. and so therefore as a culture we should be protecting that person as much as the as the baby is protected 
in utero. So there's very specific needs that any culture that has any respect for life would honor based on how sensitive and vulnerable a woman is at that period of time, because that sensibility, sensitivity and sensibility, if it's protected, actually becomes more strength and more health over time. So like in Ayurveda, they say 42 days for 42 years. So the, the, our systems are so latent at that time that whatever you put in really can become embedded. But that, that includes like harmful things that, that enter, whether that's harmful words or foods or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, none of us can do this perfectly right now because it really is a community effort. And where we're at in our culture right now is that a lot of things that in the past, our neighbors or our family would do. Now those are monetized careers, doula, postpartum doula, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the things, but it's, the book is really a call to action to understand that these are not luxuries being taken care of postpartum, having body work, having an extended rest period where you do not work and you barely go out of your house for at least 40 days that most people are going to listen to this and roll their eyes out because we're so superwoman oriented that mm-hmm. it's like, well, I don't need that. And my mom didn't do that. And, you know, I can, I see people out at the park with their seven day old babies, but this is really indigenous, meaning place-based land wisdom that in order for a culture to thrive, women and babies must be taken care of during the fourth trimester. And a lot of the work that I do, you know, every birth has become something that is, I think, in postpartum too, my book is now, it's this year is five year anniversary of the book. So a lot has changed since the book came out, mm-hmm. but it's really in, an imperative way of restoration. And it's why I'm still passionate because, you know, my daughter is 15 now and I'm not going to have another postpartum time of this kind. I'm perimenopausal, which is its own kind of postpartum, yeah. but it's still not with a baby. So um, the reason I even still care about it a lot is because it, it, what you need postpartum is also what this culture needs to move in a direction that's, that actually honors life. To move in a direction that actually honors life. Like put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> For sure. I could talk to you all day because I have many spinoff questions from, from the questions that you answered, but, but we do need to, to close up. Is there anything that you may have missed or that I didn't ask you that you wanted to circle back to before we close? I would just say with the fourth trimester that most people who become interested in the fourth trimester are people who've already had a baby and then had a bad experience postpartum. And mm-hmm. then they get interested like going towards their second baby. But I, but I really see it like for everyone who's listening that when you have people in your life that are having babies, that you, that you also inform yourself because just cause you don't have one yourself, like our babies are not just our babies. Like we should have aunts and uncles and godparents and people that are in our children's lives. And this is one of the starting points because those people who are in your sphere at that time are are people who can potentially really be holding your own history and the history of your children. And you might be that person who's a holder. Mm -hmm. So because of like our nuclear family structures and our ideas about privacy, a lot of times people don't loosen some of those boundaries to get the support that they need. And it's really a time 
where you want to err on the side of more support rather than less support, even the things that you think you don't know if they're really that supportive. Uh, and, and I would also caution people to not think of this in terms of money and expense, because a lot of this doesn't have to do with, I have to hire this person and hire that person. It has to do with asking a friend that you feel really comfortable with to come stay with you for four days. There's things that everyone I think kind of knows now about me will deliver food to you. But there's in the book, there's five universal needs. And those five universal needs are extended rest, nourishing food, loving touch, presence of wise women and spiritual companionship and contact with nature. And if you could facilitate one of those things for the person that you know that's giving birth and really turn your attention to the mother rather than the child, Mm -hmm. that is really life enhancing. Thank you for that. Now, is that from, is that from your first book? Yes. Those five things. Okay. And then what was the name of that one again? The fourth trimester. The fourth trimester. Okay. And the second one is called The Wild. And then the third one that just came out this year is called Reckoning. Reckoning. Okay. Yeah. And the fourth trimester book also has a card deck that goes with it, which is a really nice gift. Like if you feel like some, you know, because what happens is people have baby showers and the baby gets all these clothes and, you know, it's super cute. I mean, who doesn't love baby clothes? Give me a break. I'm like, I want baby clothes now. And I don't even have a baby. I walk by Target Um, and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Before I had a kid, I was like, they should sell sperm here. This this is like dangerous. I'm ovulating just walking by here. Um, But it's nice to give a mother a gift. And so mm-hmm. there's this four trimester cards because the, the book is also an audio so someone could listen to it. But there's also a journal that we put out, um, I think two years ago that has really beautiful artwork and prompts. And there's a bunch of research that says that when women write about their birth experience, especially within the few days after it happens, that it tends to decrease the incidence of postpartum depression. So I guess lastly, I would also say that let's try to separate this word postpartum from postpartum depression, because those have become synonymous mm-hmm. in our culture. People say, oh, I had postpartum, but that means they ha- they were depressed. It doesn't mean that they went through this period of time that anyone who's had a miscarriage abortion right. or a baby goes through. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because redefining women's health in terms of mental health is very problematic. It has a long history and it's insidious and it's uh, and it's happening now. I read books now by best-selling authors where their best piece of advice is take your meds. And we really don't want to pathologize postpartum. Uh, that's most institutions' best way of addressing postpartum is let's increase the mental health checklist. But these days, pandemic-wise and wh- the way birth is going, most people who've had babies would check off for those um, indicators. Mm -hmm. But if we actually had those five needs taken care of, uh, we wouldn't be seeing what we see in terms of what we're categorizing Mm -hmm. as women's mental health. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, Thank you again so much for that. And everybody, all these links will be in the show notes to Kimberly's website and all three of those books. And where did you, did you want and everyone to go somewhere specific, just your website or Instagram? Yeah, either one. It's my name, KimberlyAnnJohnson.com. Um, if you want to read the first chapter of Call of the Wild, which is the book on somatic experiencing. That's the Jaguar story, right? That's the Jaguar and okay. it's got a Jaguar on the cover. And, um, and there's more Jaguar stories in there because it's, it's a, it's a long body of work. I've been doing it for 12 years. So um, that one if you go to KimberlyAnnJohnson.com slash chapter, you can get the first chapter for free. 
And that chapter is the most comprehensive because it's kind of where I lay out polyvagal theory in relatable terms. It kind of has like the foundation for the rest of the book. Okay. Thank you so much um, for that and for your time today. And everyone listening, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful that you choose it to spend it here with me. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed.